I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Sue Williams-Silverman. We're going to be talking about her new book, How to Survive Death and Other Inconveniences. Uh, Sue is the, a memorist, a poet, and writing teacher at Vermont College of Fine Arts. Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Sue. Let me uh, just read a short uh, intro ab- about you. Many are haunted okay, and upset. Yeah, many are haunted and obsessed by their own eventual deaths, but perhaps no one as much as Sue Williams Silverman. Her thematically linked collection of essays charts Silverman's attempts to confront her fears of that ultimate unknown. Her dread was fomented in part by a sexual assault hidden for many years that led to an awareness that death and sex are in some ways inextricable an everyday reality many women know too well. Ultimately, Silverman knows there is no way to survive death physically. Still, through language, commemoration, and metaphor, she searches for a sliver of transcendent immortality. Uh, Sue Silverman has been featured on The View, Anderson Cooper 360, The Ricky Lake Show, CNN, and more. Welcome to the show. Again, nice to have you here. Thank you. It's so nice to be on your show. Okay, so now we're going to be talking about how to survive death and other inconveniences. Uh, as we all know, I can we survive death? Is this some, if that, that's my first question? I think we all know the answer to that. No. So, how did you get, get into this topic? What made you? I mean, this is something that you thought about your whole life, your own mortality, or were there things that precipitated? Uh, specific things in your life at this time that precipitated this this book or the writing of this book? Right. Well, I really actually have been obsessed with uh, this sort of fear of death my whole life. I think it began when um, I saw my grandfather uh, dead in, in his casket, and I was really young. I was maybe third grade, and I didn't understand it, and I was just traumatized by it. And, like, afterwards, I slept for, like, three months in just sort of this state of denial and trauma. Um, So that was maybe my first um, encounter with death. But then, subsequently, um, I was actually um, uh, sexually molested by my father, and I was also uh, raped by a stranger. And I think that these kind of uh, sexual assaults contributed to it in that... um, you know, when something like that happens, I think for women we feel a sense of a loss of our bodies, you know, that they've been kind of stolen or killed in a way. And also there's just a kind of emotional and spiritual death that comes along with, with assault, things like that. So I think that it's a number of things that sort of contributed to this fear of death where you know, it really has scared me most of my life. But at the same time, I think that there are ways, if not to physically survive death, that other ways, and in other words, like sort of writing this book, I think is one way that I um, do survive death. And thinking about kind of the legacy that we, that we leave behind but I'm thinking of all the going back to or, you know, all those traumatic experiences you just described. I mean, maybe 
maybe let's go back to the first one when you saw your grandfather lying in his casket and he was mm-hmm. terrified. You were terrified. Well, he wasn't terrified. Right. You were terrified. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've had as a, I, I'm thinking about that. I, I saw both of my grandparents lying in their caskets. I, I don't know if I was terrified, but it was haunting. It was really haunting. Mm-hmm. I dreamt about it afterwards. I dreamt that they became alive again, all of those kinds of things. Um, so I, I understand. I can you know, kind of see where you're coming from. If you had dealt with those issues, I mean, as a social worker, I'm asking you this question. Um, sure. Or dealt with that in the beginning, that fear. Do you think that might have helped um, mitigated this oh, kind absolutely. of absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that as a culture, particularly back then growing up, that we did not um, have ways of, of talking to children about things like death or, you know, what it means and what happened. Or even <clears throat> when I was being sexually molested by my father, I mean, back then, um, yeah, this was sort of in the, in the 50s and 60s, nobody talked about things back then. So... In fact, it was a therapist, um, a social worker, who helped me save my life. But I think that the silence in our culture around scary things, dark things, traumatic things, there's been so much, there's, and still to some, today, there's so much silence about things. Like people will say, oh, just get over it or don't think about that. And that, of course, is the wrong way to handle it. So I am a great lover of social workers <laughs> and, you know, and also writers who will take on these uh, tough subjects and write about them. I think those are ways that we can deal with it so that um, people have a way to sort of confront and deal with and process their trauma. I think the words we use when we say someone died, and there, and few people say someone died. They use the word they passed on, they passed away. There are all these. There are other gone euphemism. to a better place. Yeah, and yeah, gone at what place? I mean, they've gone to a better place, exactly. So we we're t- today we're still not dealing with it. I mean, you have to use the right words. I agree. I, yeah, I agree. A so, lot of it is around language, which of course is one reason why I'm a writer. Yes, um, and. So, yes, I think that our culture needs to change in the way we can be open, whereby we can openly discuss these these kind of traumatic things that happen to us and the language that we use, absolutely. So, hence your book, How to Survive Death and Other Inconveniences. That's what you're going, reading your book, will that help us to be able to do that or at least sort of get on the road maybe to recovery, to being able to address death? and um, not put it in the realm of this taboo subject? Well, I think so, and I hope so. I mean, in many ways, the book is it's kind of a book of memories, things that happened to me that I associate with various forms of death, but then, in a way, transform them, these things, into ways to live more fully. Um, For example, I mean, the book isn't just about, you know, physical death. It's also about, I guess what I would call sort of smaller forms of death that we encounter uh, more regularly and how do we uh, confront those, you know, like, say, sexual assault, but things like divorce, bad relationships, Um, uh, people who we encounter who maybe sort of kill off our creativity. When I was a kid, I took piano lessons from um, somebody who was just, she was a terrible teacher, 
and it was so bad that I, I used to love to play the piano, and after playing, taking lessons with her, I hated it. I couldn't play anymore. And that's sort of a form of death, you know, killing that creativity. But, you know, what do we do with illness? Things like abandonment, bad relationships, divorce, losing our animals. I mean, so it's about um, how do we take these uh, forms of death and transform them into um, a kind of life form so that we can live a really productive life and have, leave behind a kind of legacy. Like bad things happen to me, but rather than become a bad person, I worked hard to sort of transform myself so that the legacy that I leave behind will be maybe my words or my books. But, of course, you don't have to be a writer. To, you know, there are other ways. I mean, being a therapist, things that you do, I mean, you're, you're giving good into the world. You know, do you contribute to the culture? Are you a good uh, parent? You know, what are the acts of kindness? Do you care about the environment? Do you care about the homeless? So I think it's a matter of looking at our life, uh, you know, remembering everything that happened to us. What are our memories? Transforming those and then um, trying, even though maybe scary things happen to us, how do we become, you know, good people? And uh, maybe we should take a look because I, at, at any one of those that you just mentioned, um, you sort of touched on the t- sexual assault for you. Well, let's take divorce because that's something that's that is a loss, that is a death. It's it's all you know. Right. A lot of things die die during a divorce, and there's a, all of those issues come up. And fifty percent of us are divorced, maybe more. So, what if we're not a writer? What if we're not a creative person? Right. We're not okay. What do we do? How do we? Um, accomplish what you've just been talking about? Well, it's a matter of not letting these scary, traumatic things uh, define who you are. You know, yes, we, so something, okay, let's say I go, and I actually have been divorced twice. So I've been divorced twice. Um, Rather than be filled with hate over that, um, you know, yes, you have to process it for a while, and for a while you could feel hate and feel abandonment and all of that, but then work towards this idea of transformation, which I talk about a lot in the book, this idea of transforming ourselves. So what can we take from these bad things that happened and become better people? I mean, one thing that I do is, I, I, yes, I write, but I also teach, and that's incredibly important to me to sort of um, help other people uh, discover their narratives or just anything. You know, if you're having, if something bad has happened to you, go out and do something really positive. Go, you know, to a food bank and help feed the homeless. It's amazing how these things that we can do can contribute to feeling good about yourself. Um, you know, and I, I think, think one about, is just you're talking about transformation because when, when you list, hear the word transformative, sometimes I think many of us go, oh, transform, it's too much. It's, I can't do anything that's transformative. But I think that point you just made, you can have be having a terrible time in a relationship. And yes, just going to a food bank and helping a, a family or a kid or whomever changes everything. And it, Exactly. And things, or going for yeah. a walk in nature and caring about nature, caring about the planet. Um, you know, I think about 
my therapist, who he really helped me save my life, and he passed away. He died. And um, his death was obviously really traumatic to me. And I still can mourn him, but yet I also think about how, in some ways, he lives on in me. I mean, so I think about the word afterlife. I mean, that is one way to survive death is by thinking about it as, a, as an afterlife. Like, he's dead, but yet, in some ways, he's still alive. Because I write about him, I think about him, he's made me a better person. You know, things like that. So he's a part of you that you it continues, it goes on, exactly. And you Exactly, so, and we all uh-huh. can leave a legacy. We all have an afterlife in that sense. I mean, that is a way to survive death, and if you think about it that way. Um, like, I've already survived death in some ways by writing this book. Uh, but right, not everybody's a writer. But what can you do just by being a good person um, that will be your own afterlife that will live on after you die? So, talk about the baby boomers. You're, um, you're a baby boomer? Um, I am a baby boomer. <laughs> okay. So, I'm a baby boomer, too. And I'm thinking, what, how do things change as you actually physically get older? Because your attitude changed, too. You know, at 50, you might think, well, I have 30 years left. At 60, I have 20 years left. And that's the physical part of it. So, how does that impact what you've been talking about in terms of, you know, actual behaviors that you, you know, that one can do or, or emotional or, or cognitive or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not. Yeah. That, yeah. I think I know what you're saying. I mean, I think that there's more pressure to hurry up and do things. I <laughs> you got to write another book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is funny. When I was, so I'm writing this book, How to Survive Death and Other Inconveniences. And my big fear is like, oh my God, I'm going to die before I finish this book. <laughs> And so, like, my one goal right then was just to finish this book before I died. And, yay, I survived that. Um, I did live. But, yes, I mean, I'm working on another book now. And I think that um, there is a kind of urgency to not to give up at all, but just the opposite, to just to um, think about, well, what else can I still contribute to life? You know, because that is... This book, in many ways, is about living as much as it is about how to survive death. I mean, it's, it's about um, how can we live um, in a way that does help us survive death, very metaphorically. Say, given what we've been talking about and your book, what would you say were maybe some of uh, the pitfalls, some of maybe mistakes that that you've made, or things uh, even recently, even though you you're obviously very aware of facing death, but um, what would you say you may have done differently? Well, yeah, I've been growing up. I was very self destructive. I mean, because my father did sexually molest me. I mean, that sort of set. I uh, struggled with a sex addiction. And so I did a lot of things when I was, uh, I'm now in recovery, but, um, and I also wrote about recovering from sex addiction, but, you know, my life was very self-destructive, and I also had an eating disorder, Um, but, you know, by having affairs with married men, having affairs when I myself was married, I mean, really, really destructive behaviors. At the same time, I don't quite use the word regret. Because, um, you know, my father did this bad thing to me, and 
obviously there are going to be consequences. I would re- what I would regret is if I had never gone into recovery and worked through those issues so that, um, you know, I did recover from the sex addiction. I did recover from the eating disorder. So since I've worked on myself and continue to work on myself on a daily basis, I might add, to be a better person, um, I, I don't think of anything in the past as regret. I mean, I, there's one of the things the book is about is about memories and sort of hoarding memories. And whether the memories are good memories or bad memories, they're still important memories and they need to be honored as such. And so in that way, I do. I honor all of my memories and I, um, I hold on to them and I study them and I learn from them. And so if something bad happens, I don't want to just erase it. Instead, by writing through it or talking about it with a therapist, whatever form it takes, I want to explore it. I want to just sort of dig down, sort of like an... Uh, an archaeologist, I want to like, dig down deep into my memories and make sense of them. I mean, one way to survive death is to make sense of our lives. And so to me, nothing is a regret. It's just all um, material to be uh, understood, taken apart, you know, understand the metaphors surrounding it. And for me to write about it for other people, you can, you know, journal and talk to other people, but to make sense of our lives. I mean, the saddest thing is to live a life that you don't understand, that you've never made sense of, that you've never stopped long enough to really pause and think, well, gosh, what did anything mean? And so as I, you know, to go back to the baby boomer thing, the longer I live, the more I want to make sense of my life. Like, what did um, the sexual assaults mean? What did the piano teacher mean? What did getting divorced mean? You know, I've been abandoned. I've lost animals. I mean, what, did, what, does all, what do all of these memories, good memories, bad memories, what do they mean? I just want to um, just keep mining them and exploring them. In other words, don't bury your memories, <laughs> to put it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and don't let them Absolutely. die. Yeah. So it's many people say, oh, yeah, I have friends say, oh, well, I'm not going to think about that. And I just want to say, no, no, think about it. Think about it. Please think about it. Talk to me about it. And But I have friends who absolutely won't. If something bad happens, say, oh, well, I just don't even think about that. And it makes me so sad um, that that they won't, that they just, yeah, bury their memories, pretend something didn't happen when, of course, it happened. And um, I think that's one reason why I, did became, why I became a writer in the first place is that I had, it just became so crucial to me to fully understand my life in many different ways. And for me, that became, uh, writing became that way. You know, I've written, I know this is maybe somewhat embarrassing, but this is like the, my fourth memoir. But each one examines a different part of my life. And that's been crucial to keeping me alive, uh, not just physically, but I mean emotionally and spiritually, it helps keep me alive. Um, and yeah, all memories are important. <laughs> 
all memories are important. You're a teacher, too, because, you know, we don't have that much time left. And so that part to me is also, I would think, key to all of all of this. So your students. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I teach. So I teach it's an MFA program. It's a low residency MFA program at Vermont College of Fine Arts. And I teach memoir and creative nonfiction there. But, of course, all genres are offered. And I love my students. I love teaching it. You know, they, they have their own stories that they want to tell. And to be, and I feel so honored to be whatever part of their writing journey that I am. I just, it's such an honor to me to help them find the language um, and their metaphors so that they can tell their narratives and their stories. I absolutely love to teach um, you know, and I think it goes really well with the writing, you know, that kind of balance of sort of holding up by myself and just focusing on my writing and then sort of going out and being with my students and with my, my uh, colleagues, my fellow teachers. And um, writing is just such a wonderful thing. I, you know, whether I do it, happen to do it professionally, but, you know, keep a journal, you know, write letters. You know, you things you don't even have to show to anybody. Like, I don't know what I think unless I write. And so, you know, I just think that everybody, in whatever form they want to do, if it's on a little scrap of paper, just, you know, write down things that are meaningful to you. It, it's just, it's really informative in terms of understanding ourselves. So, yeah. Do any of I your students, or have, have any of your students shared their journals with you? Because... Uh, obviously, you're, well, they, you're telling not, them. Not yeah. their journals, but I mean, every, so when I work with these students, um, they send me like their packets of of their writing, you know, like uh, like a, an essay draft or a chap, chapters from a memoir that they're working on. So they will send me their work, and then I offer, you know, rather comprehensive feedback to them, and then I, I share the feedback with them, and then they'll do, uh, you know, revise the work. And so it's sort of like this ongoing process of them sending me their work, and I offer feedback, and and, the, and then we get into the revision process. Uh, we have a couple minutes left. Love talking to you today, and uh, so I want to obviously mention the book again: How to Survive Death and Other Inconveniences. Author is Sue William Silverman. That's who we've been talking to. She's a memoirist, a poet, and teaches writing at Vermont College of Fine Arts. Uh, Sue, give us a website or two or more where we can uh, sure. access. Um, yeah. My website is uh, suewilliamsilverman.com. That's the three my three names all put together, suewilliamsilverman.com. And on there you can find out information about me and my books. And um, you could also go to the University of Nebraska Press website to find out about the book. But probably maybe the easiest way is just to go to my website. And there are links there to Nebraska as well. And if you're interested in um, writing, um, learning how to be a writer, you can go to the Vermont College of Fine Arts website, which is vcfa.edu, if you're interested in that. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking to you as well. Yeah. And I Great talking to you. I'm I looking guess. forward to the next book. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm actually right. working on it. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 